Hello, it's 25th of March 2017 and this is episode 22 of Scavenger's Horde, a Star Wars podcast. I'm Rachel. And I'm Kirsty. We're here to deliver a regular rundown of Star Wars news, analysis and commentary with focus on the sequel trilogy and the future of the saga. And this episode, we have a very special guest on the show, Erin. Uh, and would you like to introduce yourself, Erin? Hi, Rachel, Kirsty. Thank you guys for having me. Um, so my name is Erin, and I'm on Tumblr as Holocroning, previously Star Wars Hell, but um, I needed a brand update, so I changed that recently. <laughs> um, <laughs> sorry for any confusion, but um, yeah, I am here to talk about Star Wars lore, which is my favorite thing to talk about, so I'm excited. Yay. We're very excited to have you on, so thank you so much for making the time. Like, We're really Definitely. making those time zones work for us. <laughs> um. Right, so to do the business side of things, the first thing, which is very exciting and which we forgot last week, sorry, uh, is that we have been nominated for Star Wars Podcasting Awards. <laughs> like, when did the uh, when did the results for that come out? Oh, that's a very good question. <laughs> I think the results come out during celebration. Yes, but um, the voting closes April first. Yeah, so there is still time for us to shamelessly beg for votes, basically. Are you guys, um, do you, I saw there's a podcast panel at Celebration. Do you guys have anything to do with that or is it just the awards are presented there? Uh, I don't know if it's actually part of that, but because um, Rachel can't go to Celebration this year, it's just, it's just me. So. <laughs> right. <laughs> so we could totally apply to do that if, if we, we're both there another year. So Yeah. When I can yeah. afford to fly to America, basically. <laughs> yeah. We had a couple of people asking if we would do it. Um, but didn't work out this year. Sorry. <laughs> Trust me, no one wants me to be at Celebration <laughs> and I want me to be at Celebration. <laughs> but um, logistically, it's not going to work. Um, yeah, so we have been nominated in New Show and People's Choice. So if you like the show, please do find the Star Wars Podcast and Awards. I'll include a link in the notes and give us your vote. Um, and we would sincerely appreciate that. So thank you. Um, and as always, if you haven't done so so far, please do rate and review us on iTunes because that really helps us and helps to get the word out there. Um, and if you have any questions, please do email them to scavengershorde at gmail.com. Right. And then with that said, I reckon we should probably move on to news. Um, and yeah, as we have previously touched upon, the first thing we'd actually like to talk about is the latest Rebels episode, or I guess it will be the second latest, because by the time this comes out, I, I think there's a new episode, isn't it? Um, Zero Hour? Um, yeah, but basically, right now, we want to talk a little bit about Twin Suns, which is the most recent Rebels episode at the time of recording. Um, yes, and I, I guess it's going to be a full-on spoiler discussion of that episode, isn't it, Kirsty? Yeah, so if you haven't watched that episode yet and want to, please skip this part of the discussion. So yeah, um, I guess a good place to start would just be to go around everyone and figure out what our relationship is to Rebels. Um, so yeah, Erin, because you're our guest, um, you kind of mentioned that you've perhaps seen a little bit more than me. Um, but yeah, like, what does that consist of? Yeah, I've just, I've seen a few episodes here and there, you know, just like late night, falling asleep type thing. Um, 
but I, I don't keep up with it. Um, I honestly, I don't watch TV at all. I don't own a TV and I haven't for like eight years. So I don't, um, so, and you know, so any watching I do is on my laptop and, um, I just, I don't have a ton of time in my life these days. So I just haven't really had time to watch it. And also, I don't know. I mean, there's, there's animated series that I've enjoyed before, but something about Rebels just doesn't really hook me. Um, Although, I mean, I appreciate it, and I do keep up somewhat with the discussion online, especially since, you know, there has been so much um, going on in the show that is is pertinent to the sequel trilogy and the universe as a whole. So, um, you know, I, I appreciate Rebels, but, um, yeah, personally, I just I don't keep up with it very much. Yeah, and I, I guess for me, like... I, I've probably seen less than you have, to be honest, Erin. So, like I say, Twin Suns is the only episode I've ever watched of Rebels. Um, and I guess it's the same, to be honest. I just don't have much time. Like, I lead a very busy life, like, like in fandom and out of fandom. And, like, you just have to prioritise things, and certain things just don't get done and don't get watched. And Rebels is on that list of things that just doesn't get watched. Um, especially because like American TV schedules are insane. I think like each season has like twenty plus episodes or something. Yeah, it's so extensive. Just all of it. That and the Clone Wars. You know, it's it's a lot to keep yeah. up with. And like I know they're obviously very short episodes. I think it's like twenty minutes when you take out the ad breaks. But yeah, like it's still it's a commitment to stick to that and watch it every week. And it's just commitment I haven't been able to make um, for myself. And just being brutally honest, like Rebels, it just doesn't appeal to me. It doesn't really interest me. Um, and for reasons I'll go into when we actually discuss Twin Suns, like what I saw of it just consolidated that belief for me that this isn't really a show that like has much there for me to enjoy. There are things I liked in what I saw. But yeah, overall, it it didn't do much to like entice me to watch anymore. Let's put it that way. Um, and yeah, then you, Kirsty, you're definitely the most um, devoted and diligent viewer oh. <laughs> of Rebels here. So yeah, go into your relationship with it. I watch Rebels. I've watched every episode, but it's not why I'm into Star Wars in general. Um, mm-hmm. It's just something, it's pretty low commitment to watch just 20 minutes a week, like Sunday mornings when I'm lazing around, not doing much at home. So <laughs> yes. it's, I just kind of consider it another form of entertainment. Um, but it's it's definitely not like anywhere near the level of the saga films in terms of my emotional investment or even a lot of the books. Mm. Um, I just kind of watch it, and if I enjoy an episode, that's great. If I don't, I'm just like, meh, maybe that episode wasn't for me, you know? Yeah, sure. Um, and I think that might be quite different from how a lot of fans watch Rebels, and that might be why there was such controversy over this one, because... Um, and to be fair, that's probably the marketing's fault as well. But that's what marketing does. It hypes things up. So people were kind of led to believe that it was going to be something really dramatic between Obi-Wan and Maul. And um, they got something quite different. Yeah. Um, which I liked on its own terms. But I also completely understand that other people wouldn't. Yeah. Know. So to actually get onto the episode itself, um, I think like the main thing that I found watching it is I found it so interesting that it seemed like it was two completely different shows spliced together. So you have the stuff with Ezra and like the ghost team and stuff, but mostly Ezra in this episode. And then you have the stuff with Maul and Obi-Wan. And both those elements seemed so utterly disconnected. Mm-hmm. And yeah, like I, they just did not gel together in a convincing way for me at all. And just the scene where like Obi-Wan is like rescuing Ezra 
and like sat with him by the fire that whole scene just seems so wrong to me i was just sat there thinking obi-wan should not be saying the name ezra <laughs> and i think even obi-wan is aware of how wrong this is because he packs ezra off <laughs> <It's super laughs> yeah this is actually something in general that some people um at least i was talking to my husband about this and this is why he doesn't watch rebels he considers it a huge retcon of the original trilogy mm. the idea that there were these people like kanan and ezra out there um and that luke wasn't you know the only new force sensitive like potential jedi of that generation it kind of ruins that a little bit for some people yeah it kind of takes away that magic mm. so um I, I really think the decision to include jedi and rebels is like it's basically cynical marketing because they know that kids love lightsabers and they want to see people fighting with lightsabers and stuff on a screen and you can't do that if you just interpret Yoda's <laughs> comments at face value and act as if all the Jedi are completely gone and extinguished at that stage so you have to contrive this scenario where there is a like young potential Jedi and there is like an older Jedi who escaped from the purge and all that kind of stuff and, and yeah like it, it is just very heavy on contrivance and there are ways to do that well and to like justify it i'm just not sure. it's it's interesting too they've picked you know sort of strange storylines in my opinion like the whole um controversy between darth maul and obi-wan you know that they you know basically extended from the prequel trilogy it's just it just keeps going you know like there's all <laughs> like i'm low-key obsessed with darth maul because he's like the biggest piece of trash in this universe <laughs> Yeah. But, um, but, you know, it seems like the characterization of Darth Maul is very different in Rebels as opposed to what we saw in the films. And, um, you know, just this idea that they have this, like, mortal enemies relationship that just sort of just it keeps going and Darth Maul keeps dying and keeps coming back. And stuff, <laughs> you know, <it's> like, <laughs> I don't yeah. know. Uh, Didn't he first come back as like a big spider in Clone Wars? Or something? Yeah. Okay. So here's... <laughs> Here's and and maybe this is you know not completely accurate, but from what I understand, he um, was dumped on a trash planet where he survived eating vermin until <laughs> and he was sustained purely by his hatred for Obi Wan, and that's what kept him alive. And then he just set out into the universe with this you know huge chip on his shoulder um and got and you know became a cyborg arachnid and i mean i i love general grievous i love these sorts of characters but it's pretty extra is that like a bridge too far even for you (laughs) it's a bit much i won't lie (laughs) yeah like for me like i i have seen some episodes of clone wars and i found that much superior to what i saw of rebels like just in terms of the quality of the animation and the quality of the storytelling, the writing, it just seemed like on another level to me than Rebels. Although I'm not in no way going to pretend I'm an expert on either, but yeah, I haven't seen more at all in Clone Wars. So for me, like prior to Twin Suns, my previous experience of Darth Maul was being cut in half and falling down a shaft. <laughs> I was just going to say that is actually one of my probably top three favorite scenes from the prequels though just like Qui-Gon's death and the showdown between Obi-Wan and Darth Maul gets pretty intense I like it mm-hmm. yeah I I know that it was George Lucas's decision to bring back Maul but I consider it like a mistake it I don't <laughs> think it should have happened mm. um because essentially he does become this new character I know that it's linked by his hatred of Obi-Wan 
Um, and obviously that was what was being built up for Twin Sons. But um, it's, it is like they created this whole new character but called him Darth Maul in terms of his characterization because a big criticism with the Phantom Menace was that the villain was so one-dimensional you know he barely says anything you what don't really characterization? get a sense of... right exactly you you know he's cool to look at he looks very scary but mm. there's not much depth there and then they added all of that backstory through the animated shows which is interesting if you know you're really into that character and want to learn more about him but I just I thought it was a strange decision in the first place it is a bit unbelievable just you know yeah cutting him in half like that's pretty (laughs) decisive he died like come on (laughs) (laughs) they really wanted to bring him back um so yeah what are your like thoughts on twin sons then Kirsty? like i know that you actually quite appreciated how they handled the like maul and obi-wan confrontation which obviously a lot of people were very unhappy with yeah their actual confrontation made sense to me um in terms of the characters and what's been going on in the past few decades because um, that was like the one point of the criticism I've seen that I didn't really agree with was the idea that the story was really amping it up, that Maul was obsessed with Obi-Wan. Um, he had that weird shrine to Obi-Wan and Satine in an earlier episode um, and that it was going to be this like big epic duel between them. But I felt like the whole point was that it was all of Maul's expectation. It was all this one-sided thing and that Obi-Wan has moved on with his life. Like... He has not held on to that anger and resentment in at all the same way. Like he's found his his purpose now is to protect Luke. Yeah. Um. So he, you know, in the episode, he doesn't want to fight more. Like that's just not on his radar as something that he cares about. Yeah. Um, he's probably forgiven more already for what happened with him and Qui Gon. Mm. Um. And that's kind of they are illustrating the difference between Jedi and Sith there, right? That. I know Maul isn't technically a Sith anymore, but it's this idea that Darksiders really are fueled by their anger and hatred, but it's not matched by the other side. Mm. Um, you know, Obi-Wan just has bigger fish to fry at this point. Yeah. Uh, but it's only once um, Maul figures out that he's protecting Luke, that that's why he's there, that Obi-Wan is like, okay, well, I'm going to have to kill this guy now. Yeah. But it's still in a very quick, almost merciful way. And he dies in his arms and it's, it's pretty emotional, really. Mm. I was hoping he would show up in the sequel trilogy. <laughs> still, still canon out there lurking somewhere. <laughs> you mean ho- you were hoping that Darth Maul would show up in the sequel trilogy? Yeah. Wow. <laughs> I mean, not really, but um, Chuck Wendig is full of surprises, as we'll see. <laughs> no, I mean, there, there are multiple characters that um, don't need to be th- around that are. So um, mm. anyway, back to Rebels. <laughs> Yeah, I, just, I mean, the way that he dies, you you don't see anything in terms of like an injury or, mm. right? It was all very quick and clean. Yeah, I, I did find it, now you've said that, I, I do agree that it's a good juxtaposition of like the nature of the dark side and the nature of the light side. Um, because like you say, how Obi-Wan deals with it is extremely utilitarian and logical and passionless. Mm-hmm. Like there's no emotion in how he deals with that situation, even though he's has every right to have loads of emotion in that situation, because obviously there's all this long history and Darth Maul killed his master and Darth Maul killed the love of his life and all this kind of stuff. Yeah, it's basically at the point where he he can feel like the pity that Obi-Wan has for Maul, right? That he's held on to this anger and it shaped his life. Yeah. I like that that kind of plays into the larger themes of Star Wars about like loving your enemy and like... Mm-hmm. I just wonder if that's 
I, I, it reassured me that that was go going to be something that would be part of the sequel trilogy as well. That that's still fundamental to Star Wars's message. Yeah, like having compassion. I found it interesting you haven't mentioned Ezra at all, well, Dusty, given okay. that he is our main character and the principal protagonist of this episode. I try to avoid talking about Ezra because <laughs> it gets pretty nasty on both sides. Um, is it the kind of thing where, like, what your mother tells you, like, um, if you can't say anything nice, don't say anything at all? Basically. Like, <laughs> because I liked Ezra at the beginning of the show because it was with the understanding that this character was going to really develop, you know? Mm -hmm. uh, but we're on season three now, and I know there are lots of people who disagree with me, but I don't feel like he's developed all that much. He has lots of things happen to him, but then it's... I think it's part of the format of the show almost that it is in that cl classic cartoon way that even as they have these um, arcs that might extend over a few episodes, it still ends up reverting everyone back to the same character that they were. Yeah. Like everything kind of stays a bit still in terms of the character's own individual development. And it's possible that with season four, they'll try to speed everything up and then suddenly he'll become this mature adult who makes rational, selfless decisions. But he's... I don't know. He's very much like, and I know he's a teenager, so you know you can say that that is what makes sense there. But <laughs> I didn't know he was a teenager. He looks like a full-grown man to me. <laughs> I think he's supposed to be around the same age as Luke now. So he's like seventeen, I think. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No. Like I, I was just watching it and I was thinking, God, he's an idiot. <laughs> This isn't the first time that he's fallen for Maul's tricks as well. I was about to say, do you feel like there's like a lot of like plot for convenience stuff going on with it? Like, do you feel like, um, Kirstie, do you think like things sort of happen to Ezra more than Ezra happens to things? Yes. <laughs> That's the thing. It's like, okay, we know that Ezra is the main character and therefore he has to be in this episode, even though the climax is going to be about Obi-Wan and Maul. So they have all this stuff about how Ezra fits into it, like, Maul's going to trick him to come, and, like, that's how he'll find Obi-Wan, but it just doesn't seem... It's not about him. Yeah. And the worst thing is, in Twin Sons, it's like, the whole scenario where Obi-Wan is put in danger is caused purely by Ezra's stupidity. Because mm. if Ezra hadn't fallen for this trick of Maul's, then, like, Maul would have never found Obi-Wan. <laughs> Right. And then it, he wouldn't have needed to die and none of the events of the episode would have happened. So it's purely an episode founded on the stupidity of this character. <laughs> Presumably our hero. <laughs> I'm sorry, I know I sound super harsh. I know I'm super harsh, but I think it just reminds me that this is like a show for kids. I was about you know? to say, that's like typical cartoon for kids, which ultimately Rebels is. And obviously, it, you know, it has a lot of elements of the sacred canon that we Star Wars fanatics, you know, love to treasure. But um, yeah. but it ultimately is it's marketed and geared towards kids. And I think that's part of why it hasn't hooked me so much is because, like, a lot of the dialogue and the plots, like, they're not... Although, like, they are complex in the sense that the Star Wars universe is complex, I feel like there's not a whole lot of, you know, like, conflict that I can relate to going on in the show. Yeah. yeah, I think this is part of the problem because obviously a lot of adult Star Wars fans, myself included, are going to watch the show because it's canon and has these interesting implications for what might happen in future and um, kind of feeds in all these ideas of like what 
their evolving concept of the forces and light and dark and all that but it's primarily for children which doesn't mean that it's bad yeah um and but they are aware of the fact that they have this adult audience that they need to gear some episodes towards so they're kind of constantly trying to juggle all of these different demographics and not in the same way that the saga films do because obviously they are also for people of all ages but they just Mm. seem to be able to handle it better Mm. yeah Um, the the saga films are especially the force awakens i felt um you know it it did a great job of walking that line of being you know geared towards all of the the older fans who have been with this saga for, you know, 40 years, um, while also, uh, you know, marketing it, marketing it to children to where children can understand what's going on and enjoy it. But there's just a lot of subtext and a lot of connotations that, you know, they don't really understand yet because they're not mature adults, but, um, you know, that adults can appreciate. And, you know, there's like just a lot of levels going on, layers. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've said before that Sabine is my favorite character, but apart from this, you know, this arc that she had over this season, which I wasn't actually happy about what ended up happening because she ended up kind of being written out of the ghost crew. Um, I just don't care about the main characters that much. Like, mm-hmm. I, I don't... Kanan is more palatable than Ezra. <laughs> but <laughs> even that, it's just like... The problem with the show is that people or at least a lot of people aren't too invested in these characters. So then they have to bring in all of these extraneous things. Mm -hmm. Um, And it kind of means that the ghost crew themselves are basically untouchable. Like, you know, are we ever going to see one of them die? For example, like there's this almost unrealistic, which sounds bizarre because it's star Wars, but like they are just untouchable in this time of war. Like nothing bad really happens to them. Mm. Um, and again, that's probably because it's a kids' show and they don't want to kill off yeah. these characters, you know? Yeah. You can't traumatise the six-year-olds. <laughs> but I guess, you know, kids watch The Force Awakens. They watched Han Solo murdered by his son. Yeah. <laughs> I, 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 I think something like The Force Awakens, I think it's made where they're much more heavily concerned with making it for everyone mm. than, say, something like Rebels. Because Rebels is a tiny audience. Rebels' audience... It, is some like something like a few hundred thousand, and that is like an absolute drop in the ocean, in terms of like the wider population that's going to be seeing the Star Wars movies, and a lot of the people who watch Rebels are adults. They're adult Star Wars fans who liked just to see any Star Wars content, and I know quite a lot of them are very attached to the Ghost Crew, which is great and good for them. But yeah, like I think it's just not as big a priority for them to like make this like a genuinely solid program that has widespread appeal across the ages i just don't think that's as big a concern and i also think that it's really hobbled by budget because like just watching twin suns so much of it was so bland and in these like broad featureless landscapes like say where you could just tell they were like reusing like elements from like previous episodes and like it's the lightsaber fight for example so one of the main issues that people have with the episode is the way the lightsaber fight is so brief um and yeah they're right like and i understand that it works from like the whole it illustrates how the light side and the dark side complement each other and how they juxt- are juxtaposed and so on and so forth but it's literally a fight that lasts like five seconds and like the promotional 
images, they are from like a second before the fight ends, basically, because it's like over in like three swipes. Yeah. So yeah, like it's just all that kind of stuff. It just hobbles it, in my opinion, and like it prevents it from like transcending what it is like as a minimum, which is a relatively cheap kids show made for the time. Yeah. It's it's just it, they've got to be really careful when they bring in these important characters from the wider canon because mm-hmm. you know you're you're messing around with these characters that are really special to people, mm. you know. So I thought it was okay, but I have this weird thing where I I know that Rebels is canon, but I don't care too much about what happens. But I know I am not representative of the people, like so. I can say I enjoyed it myself, but I know that most people are not happy with it. But then there are people who are saying it's the, you know, the pinnacle of Rebels. So Mm. it's very mixed. I watched the episode when I was really high, so I actually found it really funny. (laughs) 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 Have have you... (laughs) You know, in The Shining, when the guy, like, is travelling back to the hotel because he wants to protect... Uh, the little boy and he gets like killed instantly when he gets there (laughs) (laughs) that is what it reminded me of it was like this arduous journey that like Maul had been obsessed with this outcome for decades and then he just dies like straight away I found it really funny which is probably not what they intended they just had to put the dog down you know (laughs) they were like this has been going on for way too long we just then why bring him back yeah I don't know yeah I think Filoni probably feels like, okay, I brought this character back, like the Clone Wars, the Rebels, he's like, he has to have this satisfying ending, but it's not satisfying for lots of people. Mm. I really think everyone else's priorities are everywhere else but Rebels at the moment. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. That's my impression. Like, I'll I'll watch season four, but I know lots of people are saying, like, I was listening to Making Star Wars and they were like, okay, I'm out. Like, I'm not watching this show anymore. Star Wars fans are really good at just sort of ignoring certain parts of the canon, you know, pretending it didn't happen. Well, that's the thing. Um, You know, you can ignore Rebels, and I think that's part of its problem. Because I I watched the episode, and my husband came in, and he was like, oh, what happened? And I I said, Obi-Wan killed Darth Maul. And he just gave me this really weird look, and he was like, yeah, in 1999. (laughs) (laughs) So you don't have to watch this show. Like, you don't don't gain anything from it in terms of, you know, fandom points. Yeah, exactly. I think the pure, like the only areas where it's going to feed into anything bigger is in these like line suggestion about like the force and like the bendu and like achieving balance and like all these abstractions, you know? No way in hell is like Ezra going to be important to the sequel trilogy or Hera right. or Kanan. Like all of them are going to be utterly irrelevant. That's a <laughs> problem. Like Ezra, yeah, exactly. I'm just like, I can't take him seriously as a mate. Like he's not anywhere near on the level of a Luke or a Ray. You know, no, no. and it might just be because he's a cartoon, but yeah. I don't know. I hope that the the new animated show that they announce is going to be like something that people can actually take seriously. Yeah, I feel like it's not because he's just a cartoon. Because I mean, if you look at Ahsoka, she's like a fandom favorite. People love her, and that's she, true. you know, so yeah, yeah. She developed. That's the thing, right? Yeah, Ezra she had is, she had a crazy arc. Ezra yeah. is still just kind of a child, right? So. The next story is that Bob Iger has made fresh comments on the Han Solo movie. Um, I can't quite remember where this was from. It's presumably some, uh, maybe another Disney shareholders event. I I think it was at a tech conference at um, USC. Oh, he was thank giving you. A talk. Yeah. Nice. 
Um, right, so this is what he said. Iger confirmed the young Han Solo film, currently in production under directors Phil Lord and Chris Miller, will serve as an origin story for everyone's favourite scruffy-looking scoundrel. He also noted that the story will detail how Han will come to be in possession of a certain ship, and how he won it from Lando Calrissian in the game of Sabak. We'll also learn how Solo meets a certain wiki and how he got his name. And then we also have the information that the movie is going to follow Han from the ages of 18 through to 24. And we'll show him finding the Falcon, meeting Chewbacca and getting his name. Um, Yeah, and I think the main thing I saw everyone talking about in relation to this was the suggestion that Han Solo is not Han Solo's actual name. Um, So, yeah, did we find that interesting, guys? Obviously, there's a a lot of backstory, I think, that can potentially be covered with Han Solo because he, you know, obviously throughout the original trilogy, we see, um, you know, all these people know him and they're like, hey, like, you screwed me over before, you know? And um, so obviously there's been stuff going on. Mm, sure. Um, and how about you, Kirsty? What were your feelings about this? Um, I'm excited for the movie. Um, mm-hmm. And... I'm not sure how to feel about this idea of him getting his name. Like, it's hard to know whether to take that literally or if he's just talking about reputation. Mm. But I saw someone tweet out this interesting segment from the Return of the Jedi novelization. Can I yes. read that out? Yeah, please do. Um, says, Luke felt the change in Han and he knew that everything he and the others had risked had been worth it. Solo means alone, he thought. He had often wondered whether that was Han's real name. Maybe it was an alias Han had chosen, one that Han felt described him better than his real name. Mm. So I'm wondering if that's actually going to be part of the story. Mm. Which I, is- I feel like it would be kind of idiotic to give him another name just because like, from a marketing standpoint alone, you know, that's one of the most recognizable character names in the history of media. Um, and I think it is very... Uh, specific to the original trilogy that these characters do have like i mean like luke skywalker you know it's like it doesn't have to imply that he he got the name skywalker because he decided to become a pilot at some point you know (laughs) like it's just sort of something you know a trait of the 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 universe i guess Mm. I definitely think it's part of that pulpy tradition of Star Wars that all the characters have these very like on the nose names. Yeah. Like if you look at all the villains like Darth Maul, Darth Sidious. Or Darth Vader, which literally yeah. means Dark Father. <laughs> <laughs> Not really doing um yeah, nothing too too deep here. Yeah. Um, yeah, so like it's not known for its subtlety basically in terms of its name choices although i can see this working and i also find it interesting because then i think it would create a really cool parallel between han solo and his future son that would be interesting yeah because obviously then you have both these people who they're born with one name but then for whatever reason they decide that that name no longer fits them and that they need to choose a name that better represents like who they want to be and who they want to project to the world and you get that with Finn as well, right? That mm. people are choosing names based on how they want to be perceived and mm-hmm. what they value. That yeah. would have sort of strange implications for Ben Solo. Like, is his last name really Solo? Is it something else? <laughs> It'd be funny if it was some really boring name. Like, like Han Baker or Han Smith <laughs> or something. <laughs> or oh, Ben Smith. <laughs> no, no one did want to change it to Kylo Ren. It's not like a very cool name. <laughs> I do wonder if this is going to play into the idea of, like, from the EU that um, 
Han was an orphan and, you know, like had to almost create his own name, right? Yeah. That he wouldn't have a family to come from. So maybe that is about him establishing his own identity. And yes, solo means alone. So he has this kind of, obviously when we meet him in A New Hope, he's very much about like this lone wolf kind of, I don't need anyone else mentality, mm-hmm. apart from Chewie, obviously. Um, so yeah. I mean, it could be cheesy, it could be good. It depends on the execution, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, And what did we think about the movie, like, following him from, like, 18 through to 24? I must say that surprised me. So I guess I'm used to seeing Styles films that take place over very compressed periods of time. So if you think about Force Awakens, I think that spanned maybe two or three days, absolute max. Mm -hmm. And Rogue One, maybe, like, a week? Um, I, I can't think of like another Star Wars film that's taken so much time and like covered such a big segment of a character's life. Um, so yeah, like does that intrigue you or like surprise you at all? Um, how, how what do you think, Kirsty? Um, I was wondering if they would show it through flashbacks, kind of how they did with Rogue One and Jin's childhood, um, mm-hmm. so that you wouldn't get the film actually lasting over six years, but that you would get these glimpses of Han as an eighteen-year-old. But I'm not sure. So. Yeah. Um, what did you think about that, Erin? Yeah, I'm not I'm not sure. Um, you know, because with the original trilogy, there's definitely like implied uh, passage of time, but not necessarily within the films. Um, although I'm, I'm a little bit that's one of the areas that my canon knowledge is less clear. You know, like how long was the span of Empire Strikes Back or Return of the Jedi? Um, mm. But yeah, I don't know. It'd be interesting to see. I think that if they're saying it will follow him from 18 to 24, um, I-, I feel like there would be time jumps within the film itself rather than flashbacks because it seems like, you know, there's, I don't know, just like, I guess that's my my intuition feeling mm. um, that they would, you know, showcase just the different events of, that were happening throughout those years um, that brought him to the Han Solo we know in A New Hope. But I don't know. We'll see. Yeah, no, that's pretty much how I feel. So, like, obviously, there is a flashback to Rey when she's a child in The Force Awakens, but no one would ever say that Force Awakens follows Rey from when she's five to when she's 19. Yeah, and that's the thing is, like, with Rey's flashback or with Jin's flashback, there was such a drastic age gap there that they had to use different actors. But yeah. I assume that, I, how do you say his name? Alden Ehrenreich? Yeah. Yeah. Um, he, uh, you know. I assume they'll be able to use the same actor from, you know, age range 18 to 24. So, But yeah. then will they be able, have to write on the screen two years later or something like that? Cause... Yeah, I don't know. Okay, they're having to introduce all of these new conventions to Star Wars to- storytelling and, like, you know, the, the names of planets in Rogue One. Mm-hmm. It just really changes the feel of the films, in my opinion. But that's just going to happen. So. Right, then the next story is that at the same event, Bob Iger was speaking about The Last Jedi. And he said, We're starting to talk about what could happen after episode nine, about what could be another decade and a half Star Wars stories. You can like practically hear the dollar signs flashing in his eyes. He also said that The Last Jedi would not be changed in the wake of star Carrie Fisher's death in December. Carrie appears throughout episode 8. We are not changing episode 8 to deal with her passing. Her performance, which we're really pleased with, remains as it is in episode 8. In Rogue One, we had a digital character. We are not doing that with Carrie. Although technology gives us that possibility today. The Last Jedi is just as satisfying as The Force Awakens was. We're really proud of it. 
the Disney executive beamed. <laughs> combination of drawing from the great heritage that was George Lucas's Star Wars, but also bringing it to new places with new characters. Um, so yeah, like the main thing that leaped out to me about this was that they're not changing episode eight to deal with Carrie Fisher's passing, and that actually makes me so happy and relieved. I can't tell you because <laughs> I yeah. really was afraid they were gonna like go back and do like a hatchet job on it, say, mm-hmm. oh, Leia died. Um, like to make it easier for episode 9 and I'm really grateful that they didn't so I think that would really compromise the film and it would just be unfair on everyone it would be unfair on Ryan Johnson and even more importantly it would be unfair on Carrie Fisher mm-hmm. because she obviously made the film with every expectation that she'd be coming back for episode 9 and I think it's very disrespectful to take her performance and like hack it apart like because of these circumstances. Oh I would just figure that it makes sense for the character as well right like they've They've hinted that Leia does play a really important part in The Last Jedi. Mm. Um, And I'm sure they are already on their way to figuring out how to deal with that in episode nine. They probably already have a pretty firm idea because I'm sure that's kind of being written now. um, Yeah, and the fact that he says, although technology gives us that possibility today, kind of says to me that maybe that is on the table for episode nine. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I think they came out and said they're definitely not going to use CGI to recreate Carrie Fisher's performance in any way, like oh. in, at any point in the future. So I don't think that's happening. I would prefer it that way. Um, the thing that makes me nervous about what he said here, though, is just that I remember there were some leaks or rumors, you know, um, coming from the bowels of the internet that uh, at some point in episode eight, Leia was going to fall into a coma and. Mm-hmm. So that just makes me wonder if the fact that they're not changing her performance at all just makes me wonder if she was always intended to die in episode eight or if they could retcon that from like a coma into Leia as a character actually just being written out, which I don't know if they can do it tastefully. I'm, I'm, I'm on board for it. They're going to have to retire these characters in some way or another eventually um, just because of the actor's age. But um I don't know. Yeah, to me, that just sort of says that something bad will happen to Leia in Episode 8. What do you guys think about that? To talk about this, I probably just want to issue a little bit of a spoiler warning about that suggestion, because um, there has actually been a report from Making Star Wars about what Erin has mentioned. Um, so yeah, like skip ahead if you don't want to hear like an in-depth discussion of this. Uh, but yeah, you're, you're right, Erin. Um, in Making Star Wars, they basically reported that like Leia is apparently attacked like on a ship and then that sends her into like some kind of force coma um, and then that basically leads the main resistance conflict to play out between Poe and Laura Dunn's character mm-hmm. so that was what the rumour was um, and because it's from making Star Wars that means has more credibility than say like the nonsense you get on Reddit mm-hmm. <laughs> um, although it's not obviously not guaranteed to be true Um and yeah, I think the impression that Jason Ward has given in his podcast has been that Leia was going to come out of the coma towards the end of episode eight. And based on supplementary reports we got after Carrie passed away, um, we think she's probably going to be reunited with Luke towards the end of The Last Jedi. So she was going to come out of the coma, basically, in the film, in the original version. Mm. So I know Jason had speculated that because of Carrie's passing, they would change it so that Leia just never woke up from the coma. But based on Iger's comments, it seems they're not going to do that, which is good. I really hope this means that we do get that reunion between Luke and Leia. Mm. 
because um, they were I don't remember who it was who was talking about this after Carrie died, but there was there was that report about two key scenes with her being reunited with Luke and also a confrontation with Kylo Ren, which mm-hmm. sounds like it probably would have been in episode nine. So that's yeah. probably the kind of thing that they're going to have to figure out now. Um, yeah, that's very tragic. Um, mm-hmm. You know, Kylo losing both his parents in the trilogy, if that's what happens. But um, at the same time, I feel like that, essentially just guarantees a redemption for Kylo Ren because for all of the solo family unit to, you know, be lost, that's, I doesn't really seem consistent with the themes of star Wars to me. Mm. It's interesting though. So I've actually seen some people say that like the fact that there won't be the possibility of that reunion now, presumably between Leia and Ben, they believe that means that there's no way he can be redeemed because he needs his mother to redeem him. But mm. Yeah, like I, I'm sure we could have a whole separate discussion on why that is not the case. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's an overlooking angle. I haven't, I haven't thought about that. Yeah, seems to be overlooking the importance of the main character. Yes. Yeah, but whatever. <laughs> Definitely. Uh, I think suffice to say, I don't think any of us are of that view. Um, <laughs> but, but yeah. Um, so yeah, I'm really happy by what he's saying about Carrie here. I think that's all the right things, and that's exactly what I would want Lucasfilm to do in this situation. This is an awful situation, yeah. to be honest, like for everyone, just on a human level, because these mm-hmm. people obviously all knew Carrie. Um, and yeah, it just sucks. That's the thing. She was their friend. Like they're They're going to want to deal with this in a way that seems most respectful to someone that they worked with for decades. Yeah, um, definitely. And for the character as well, you know, that she's so important. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, and it seems like they've they've done a they're they're so careful, you know. Obviously, there's billions of dollars at stake, but there's also, I think, so many people that have been with this trilogy or not this trilogy, this you know this franchise for so long that are working on these films that um, you know they're they're so 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 careful with what they what they're doing. Um, and I think so far. They've Disney has done a great job. I mean, I know Lucasfilm is a, a subsidiary of Disney, um, but like just in general, they've I think they've done a good job of just handling everything very delicately. And so, um, you know, I haven't really been disappointed yet. So I trust that they'll handle it in a respectful way that's satisfying to fans. You know, the way they did um, with Han's death. Mm, totally. Um, yeah, and and I guess what just what did we think about the other things he's saying here? Um, I, I guess it's no surprise that he's saying that they're proud of The Last Jedi and it's very satisfying. <laughs> uh, Would a CEO um, say anything else? <laughs> yeah, I was a bit crap, really, to be honest. We, we all think it's bad and we're going to order urgent reshoots. I did think it was funny that he said it was just as satisfying as The Force Awakens because lots of people don't think that that was a satisfying film. Yeah, that's yes. funny. In terms of the mystery box and yeah, how much conflicting <laughs> views out there there have been of what's really going on in the story. It's like, is this going to just raise more questions? Probably. Yeah, you guys are getting another mystery box. <laughs> Congratulations. Oh, <hey>. <laughs> <laughs> I do actually remember Daisy saying something like, but with answers come more questions. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, don't, Daisy, don't. It's not funny at this point. Okay. They're going to have to leave it on a cliffhanger of some sorts, aren't they? So. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I, I, I have no doubt that Last Jedi is going to leave lots of questions. It's like, like I say, I f- I'm pretty confident that The Last Jedi is going to make it clear who Ray's parents aren't, 
but I don't think that means we're going to categorically know who her parents are by the end of that film. So I think that might be a big question mark hanging over things at the end of it. But yeah. Um, it'll be very interesting to see. Oh, and what did we think about the prospect of 15 years more of Star Wars? I am so excited about that. Um, I, 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 my gut feeling is that, um, the Skywalker saga will be laid to rest at least for a while. Um, I think if they revisit it, they would want to, you know, have a very apparent passage of time. So they would, you know, need to wait for the actors to age. Mm. Um, my hope is that they do a new trilogy based in the old Republic, like thousands of years before the events of the Skywalker saga, because, um, as we'll talk about with Empire's End, there's so many um, little Easter eggs and stuff that are telling me that that is very much on their minds. Um, so yeah. I'm hoping that maybe they explore sort of the history of how the Force became unbalanced in the first place and, you know, how um, the Civil War came to be and stuff like that. So mm. I think that's very plausible for where they're going to go next. That would like... give them a lot of creative liberty you know, since it would be so far in the, in the past, they wouldn't have to take into account too much from from the uh, the trilogy of trilogies. Yeah, no, totally. I think it would be really great um, because I think things like Aftermath, I do think they're kind of hobbled by having to fit within a very narrow time frame mm-hmm. between two things that are infinitely more important and going to be seen by many <laughs> more eyeballs. Um like so it means they ha- are in many ways like a tick box exercise so like, okay we have to include this character this character this character this character we have to include this bit of mythology this bit of mythology this bit of mythology um and yeah when you have all those kind of like constraints and conditions on like a piece of art it is going to compromise it in some way and like you say i don't think you'd have that of an old republic trilogy because it would just be like you have this playground to run in and you can make up whichever characters you want that fit into this playground go and yeah i, I just think that's much better from like a creative point of view and um, what about you kirsty like do you relish the prospect of many decades more stalls oh definitely um, <laughs> Sorry, I'm making it sound like I don't. I do. I do believe, personally. Yeah, I mean, obviously, if it's of a high quality, um, <laughs> yes. if things started going south quickly, I would probably. Yeah, maybe we can we can get a live action Ezra Bridger. Oh my gosh! Okay, I might be jumping ship if that happens. <laughs> the young Ezra Bridger movie, the untold story. Yeah. <laughs> like they they're. There are so many different directions they can go in. There's so much of the EU that they can mine if they want to, or they can go for something totally new. Um, I don't think that this will be the end of the Skywalkers. I think that Erin's probably right that they could take a few years break, but they know that that's a sure fire cash yeah, win, right? a billion that's, dollars in your pocket. Right yeah, now. at least they're going to leave it open-ended so they can come back to it if they want to. Definitely. Yeah. So, um, for that reason alone, I think that Kylo Ren's going to survive the trilogy. But um, I agree. <laughs> yeah, there's just there's just so much they can do. Um, I'm I'm really excited about all the possibilities. I mean, some people have been talking about the idea that they could be setting up those Han Solo movies as a trilogy if this one is successful. Mm. But I'm not sure about the time frame then because they're saying like 18 to 24 for this first one. He meets Luke and Leia just like five years after that, so. There's a, I guess it's possible, but I'm wondering how much of a character art you could really have there, considering when we meet him in A New Hope, he's at the beginning of what we perceived his arc then. 
Mm. So how likable is he, is he even going to be in this movie? <laughs> yeah. I, want, I want a Darth Revan trilogy. That's that would be awesome. <laughs> I want that so bad. <laughs> yeah, I would be very happy if that happened. I And this conversation reminds me I still need to play Knights of the Old Republic. <laughs> So I want, I want to do. I just can't play it on the PC with an Xbox controller, and you have no idea how bad I am with a keyboard. <laughs> you can play it on your iPhone if you have one of those. That's no, I'd... I don't, unfortunately. Okay. I uh, I recently discovered that there's a community project to remake Knights of the Old Republic on Unreal Engine 4. So I don't know if that'll <gasps> ever come to full fruition, but I've seen screenshots Ooh. and it's beautiful. Oh wow, that that would definitely pique my interest. Shall we say? Yeah. I would love for them to for Bioware to remake it, but um, they're going so hard in the Mass Effect. I don't know if it is you know makes sense from a business perspective to have two space sagas going at once. Mm. There's also a Revan book. It's not canon anymore, but you could read that if you wanted to get some idea of what he's like. Yes. Okay. <laughs> cool. It, like in the game, it, can't you choose like whether Revan's a man or a woman? Yeah. Mm. But I guess, like canonically, he's a man. Is that yeah, like- in the um, in the cut scenes, he yeah. I mean, I I never played Knights of the Old Republic all the way through, actually. Um, but yeah, he's canonically a man with brown hair and a goatee. Which <laughs> I, I have a, I have a bone to pick with that, but <laughs> that's another discussion. <laughs> yeah, on the topic of Revan and Rebels, though, actually, um. I don't know if you guys are aware, but there were some throwaway lines about Revan in some deleted scenes of Rebels, um, which is interesting because that means he's on their minds creatively. um, Oh, I didn't see those. Yeah. It's interesting that they deleted it. Hmm. We're probably going to get into this with the aftermath discussion, but they obviously did find that lightsaber that's, you know, the same design as Kylo Ren's um, and referenced the Scourge of Malachor. Mm-hmm. So, they do seem to be slowly building up towards the possible canonization of him. Yep. Some mm. other stuff. Yeah, we can. There's more to point out when we get into the aftermath discussion, but fingers crossed. Yeah. <laughs> I think they know that some people wild. Yeah. <laughs> then the next story is very interesting, and it's from Star Wars Newsnet. And it reveals which planets we can expect to see in the future saga films and teases the background to the fourth strand of the story. Um, right, this is an extremely long article. Um, it could rival some of the Tumblr matters, actually. It's quite impressive. Um, so, yeah, because I don't want to sit here reading from it verbatim for like two hours, um, I'm just going to read out the bits that basically the guy who wrote the article said were from the source so this is basically the meat of the article with the speculation stripped out so some of it will probably sound a bit fragmentary um apologies in advance um but right these are the main points to cut to the chase the three returning planets are tatooine endor and mustafar although we might not see them in that exact order and then we're going to see tatooine in one of the next two movies endor is the second of our three stops Now I can say I have a much clearer idea about where the other two planets are going to fit in than the first. They're both tied to Kylo Ren's personal journey revolving around a certain Darth. You see, as The Force Awakens already showed us, Kylo Ren has a bit of an unhealthy obsession with his granddad, 
but we're about to learn more on that particular element of Kylo Ren's personality. He's seeking kinship with the role model he's trying to emulate. And as such, he's looking for artifacts relating to his grandfather and to the Sith in general. Mustafar is the last planet on this list that we'll see somewhere in the sequel trilogy. Darth Vader's castle, introduced in Rogue One, will be revisited years after the death of the man who had it built. The time that will be spent on Mustafar will have a lot to do with Kylo Ren. Kylo Ren and Darth Vader tie these planets together. That's the short version of the explanation, and it's also the most obvious. But as it turns out, there's something else that the three worlds, or at least the first two, have in common. Luke Skywalker. There's apparently an interesting parallel between Kylo and his former master, Luke, that is going on over the course of their respective character arcs. Something Luke came across relating to the Jedi puts into question everything he thought he knew about the ways of the Force, but in spite of the personal tragedy and his disillusionment with the Jedi way as he was taught, Luke Skywalker is no quitter. He believes in recovering knowledge about the practices and philosophy of the ancient Jedi, and considers this a way to go about restoring the order. Right, Whew, that is a lot of information, <laughs> and I, I also find this quite serendipitous because I feel that this ties in quite well to a lot of the law stuff from Aftermath. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, there's a lot to take in here. Um, what did you make of this, Kirsty? Well, I'm hoping it's true because mm. <laughs> this is everything I wanted. <laughs> Yeah, so you mean yeah. like wrote your like dear father Christmas letter and it was basically these things like listed in bullet points. Um well there's more, but this is a good start. <laughs> yes. Because um, I'm not so fixated on the idea of returning to these planets just because they were in the original trilogy, but I really like the idea of connecting Kylo more to um his growing understanding of who Darth Vader was because it seemed a bit patchy from The Force Awakens, like that he's ignoring the fact that his grandfather was, he did end up returning to the light. So I'm yeah. hoping that, I, I know that he knows that objectively as a fact, but it would be interesting to potentially see him coming to terms with that and maybe accepting that as his journey too. Yes. Um, and I am just so interested in this idea of a parallel journey between Luke and Kylo. Mm. Um, I know mm. that you've written before on their journeys as possible foils to each other, right? That um, uh, yeah, Kylo, can, yeah. Kylo can be like a dark version of Luke. Mm. Um, yeah, I, I didn't really reach any conclusions, but I just I, I wrote something. Um, I think it's on Journal of the Star Wars. Um, about just how like Kylo is like in a dark mirror of Luke. Luke is given the choice to kill his father and join evil, or to like forgive his father and like love him and choose good and Kylo is basically given the same choice but he makes the opposite decision to the one that Luke did um so yeah like it, it's just that kind of thing and I'm really thrilled like not like for smugness reasons <laughs> um, but just because I genuinely think it's really interesting on a thematic level to have this like uncle and nephew parallel each other in these really strong ways it's very mm-hmm. Arthurian as well it's like Mordred and Arthur almost yeah. yeah, I've seen a lot of discussion around sort of the Arthurian themes in the sequel trilogy. Mm. Yeah, there's a really like rich vein. I, I don't think it will end in the same way like those legends did. So it'd be very, very depressing. Spoilers, <laughs> everyone dies. <laughs> Spoilers. <laughs> Spoilers for thousand-year-old myth. <laughs> <Curse you, Rachel. laughs> um, but yeah, like I can definitely see that being a touchstone. 
Like, and I'm just so com- like fascinated to see how those characters are going to interact on screen. Like yeah. all this like, rich backstory, and mm-hmm. it's clearly going to be so so loaded. And I think there's just more to that falling out than anyone previously anticipated. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, I can't wait to find out how all of that went down because mm-hmm. a lot of people have been talking about how it could be, you know, just merely um, like family disagreements. <laughs> and then <laughs> Kylo Ren is a bad seed and just wanted to rebel for the sake of it. But mm-hmm. there's got to be something deeply ideological in this rift that they yeah. discovered something that changed everything Luke thought he knew about the Jedi. And he's a Jedi, you know, like that is someone's faith coming crashing down around them. Like, mm-hmm. we, I can't wait to find out what it is because we've mm-hmm. talked a lot before about how, you know, the prequel Jedi, the, the way that they are set up is uh, a lot of the time I find them kind of insufferable in their arrogance. And they are partly responsible for Anakin's fall as far as I'm concerned. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they pushed him into this way of life that was not at all compatible with who he was and what he cared about. Yeah. Um, so I just can't wait to see more of that. No, absolutely. Yeah, I'm definitely of the mind that um, whatever happened between Luke and his nephew will, I think, be the biggest twist. Um, you know, we've spent so much time debating race parentage and stuff like that. But I think that, um, you know, things will have gone down not how we expect. And I think that'll tie into Adam Driver saying that we will see humanity from Kylo Ren in episode eight, um, you know, and it'll flesh out whatever happened between him and Luke will allow the audience to sympathize with him more than they do now. Mm. Yeah, for sure. That was something we were talking about last week with Shia Natasha, that um, it seems to be the all of the backstory and this report kind of hints that way too. It's not really about how a potential Ray Skywalker might have been separated from a father and, and you know, how everything happened there and how they're coming back together. The mm-hmm. emphasis is all on Kylo Ren and Luke. How he became the way he is. Yeah, yeah. these estranged family members and yeah. Ray could be the potential bridge between them finding each other again mm-hmm. um, and a kind of reconciliation of their philosophies of the Force. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've thought that um, just like on the the mention of the the planets i'm not sure how i how i would well potential spoilers here um i don't know how i would expect mustafar to tie into everything maybe darth vader has um you know artifacts laying around in his castle or something um but it it seems like artifacts are really what is sort of tying this whole journey of um you know between luke and ben and luke's quest for more jedi knowledge um and you know like that I don't know if you guys remember, like, there was that game, uh, Trials on Tatooine, and it wasn't a full-blown game, it was, like, just a, a brief VR thing that was shown at, like, a, a, like, a convention or something, like, a year ago or so, that stirred mm-hmm. up all this controversy, because everyone thought that, you know, you play as young Ben Solo, um, but then Pablo Hidalgo clarified that, like, no, that's not Ben Solo, you're playing as you, um, but like Han Solo drops you in the in the game, like Han Solo drops you off on Tatooine, and then you have a blue lightsaber. Um, so I think that's like sparked some discussion as to whether or not maybe Luke's whatever his new generation of Jedi was. I don't you know I don't know if it was an academy or whatever it was a temple um, that maybe that took place on Tatooine, and then like as far as Endor goes, um, my thought there is that Kylo's in possession of Darth Vader's helmet, and 
um, we saw Darth Vader's funeral on Endor, and so I'm wondering if that'll be shown in flashbacks as to maybe how Maz Kanata came by the lightsaber or how Kylo came by the helmet and that sort of thing. Mm. Yeah, no, definitely. I think um, with the whole Mustafa thing, I think that's the planet we're most likely to see in the present. Mm-hmm. I think we're probably going to see Tatooine and Endor in very brief probably kind of abstract like Ray's vision flashbacks yeah um but I do think there's a good possibility of Kylo and maybe Snoke um and probably the Knights of Ren to be honest um being holed up in Vader's castle on Mustafa um first of all because that's very Kylo um and he would (laughs) love it dramatic (laughs) yeah exactly um and like I think I did a um post on this again on John the Star Wars just after Rogue One came out but Basically, I speculated that we're probably going to see like Vader's castle and the Last Jedi. Um, and one of the reasons I identified in support of that is that if you look at concept art leaked and included in the art of book, um, you'll see there's lots of concepts of like Rey and like the Jedi killer, the precursor to Kylo Ren, basically. Um, there's concept art of those characters in a very Vader castle-esque setting. Mm-hmm. Like complete with thrones and like yeah, big it's like super gothic architecture, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I wondered if that was originally the place that he was going to take her when he abducted her before they really mm-hmm. came up with the idea of Starkiller Base as like a yeah, dual. Yeah, then, then they decided we didn't. Yeah, we didn't have enough Death Stars, so they had to come to London. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I think that's exactly what happened. I think Kylo was always going to kidnap Prey, but originally he like took her to like the extra castle of extraness. Um, <laughs> rather than Starkiller base um but yeah like i think because they didn't use that in force awakens i think that's just something that was left on the drawing board to be returned to like probably with like a big sticky label on it saying come back to this Mm -hmm. um and now they're going to go back to it in the last jedi because if you think about how that castle is included in rogue one it's so weird and so tangential yeah, um, and like it, there's no reason, plot reason, for us to see that scene really where Krennic goes there to like grovel to Vader. It's just like, oh my god, it's Vader and he's a freaking yeah. <laughs> <Sorry, laughs> yeah, I... yeah, it's like they're introducing the location, right? Yes. But, okay, this is where Vader lived, and then in the sequel trilogy, we'll see it and we'll immediately know what it is. Exactly. I am almost certain that's the purpose behind it. Because otherwise it'd be like, hmm, Kylo Ren is nice taste in architecture. It's very um, dramatic and very him. Um, but yeah, it's going to mean a lot more because we're going to have previously seen Vader going around there. I wonder if we're going to see like his servant there. You know, Vader had that like old man servant who's like, my master! Oh, gosh. <laughs> like, <laughs> can you imagine if like Kylo was there? And it'd be, I know, it'd be like the butler from the Tomb Raider games. <laughs> and he's just like shuffling around with a tray following after Kylo and, until like Kylo slams him in the fridge. <laughs> Yeah, when I saw that scene in Rogue One, I was like, wait, am I watching Lord of the Rings? Like, that's <laughs> Yeah. Okay, I know this is never going to happen, but this just occurred to me that this would be a really cool way for them to reference Padme in some way. Yeah. That, like, in his castle, he could have something that, like, shows that he never quite forgot her. Oh, mm-hmm. God. I, it's not going to happen. This is just that the is... fangirl in me speculating. But... I would love for them to retcon something about Padme's death because I think that is one of the most poorly executed aspects of the prequel trilogy is just oh she died of a broken heart like let's yeah. 
other and she's done. We, we, we had a question about this that. last week. <laughs> and yeah. I agree. Um, yeah, that's it. That's how it went down, right? That she she died of a broken heart. But yeah, there's like this, there's this oh. whole speculation that maybe Palpatine, who had learned, you know, to master the power of life and death from Darth Plagueis, um, you know, had had actually killed her, um, which that would be better than you know, just the way things are as they currently stand, I think. Yeah, it could it could be better, but um I don't know. You actually know defended I'll... it, weren't you, Kirsty? You were saying that like you saw the logic in terms yeah, of like, this it's whole one fairy tale thing. Yeah, it's one of those things where it's like I can see why it went that way because it showed the how lost Anakin had become, right? That he was force choking this woman who was everything to him and was the reason he originally was tempted by the dark. He, he desperately wanted to save her so it is like this horrible dramatic irony that he he ended up being responsible for her death so mm. i can totally see why people attempted to speculate on the potential um responsibility of palpatine like that that was something that he was doing there but um it would yeah. require a retcon right yeah and i do appreciate that aspect of you know the tragedy i guess of darth vader that he is just so ironic yeah, so it's the kind of thing that I would buy if they brought that in as a retcon because I I do love how much Anakin loves Padme and I think they did drop the ball on her characterization. Mm. Um, and I just want some reference to her in the sequel trilogy. Like, however yeah. small, just just acknowledge that she's an important character. Mm-hmm. So I think Vader's castle would be an ideal location to do that kind of thing. I know in the novelization of The Force Awakens... Um, Kylo is aware that Vader came back to the light because of his sentiment towards his son, but I don't know if he knows how he felt about Padme and if that was his reason for going to the dark. Mm, Sure. It's like sentiment was his reason for changing both ways. Mm. Which I think is potentially very interesting. I I was thinking about this like schism between Luke and Kylo, and I really like the idea that it might be like the whole like crazy divide between like the Protestant and Catholic churches. You know, something that fundamental. Mm-hmm. Where obviously that was just like a complete like divide in terms of what they understood this religion to be, and like there was so much like hatred and resentment on either side that they were literally like killing each other in like holy wars. Mm-hmm. Um, because like, I do think that's probably the kind of angle they're going to go with. Because I do think Hilo probably perceives Luke's understand the Force as fundamentally evil. Um, and that's why he's so like intent on destroying Luke and why he destroyed Luke's Jedi. Um, I'm almost certain it was like an ideological motivation rather than like a crime of passion. That would make sense, especially since Star Wars is, you know, historically, I mean, we're not dealing with George anymore, but, you know, it was historically so inspired by religion. Um, like there's one quote from a George Lucas interview that always sticks out to me about how like his whole thing with Star Wars was... Um, you know, he was he was living in, you know, the 60s and 70s in this time when, you know, the U.S. specifically was seeing um, sort of a, a decline in traditional values. And he wanted to be able to teach morality to children without, you know, the elements of religion. And so that was sort of his motivation for the saga was, you know, how do I teach lessons to kids without the the dogmatism of religion or, you know, crossing people by, you know, including any specific religion you know Mm, sure no it's like definitely really interesting and i think that's one of the things that star wars always excels at is like taking these 
real life issues and real life conflicts and then putting them on this ridiculously elaborate and fanciful stage and then actually telling you something quite profound about them Mm -hmm. like it might not be realistic but there's always something like meaningful to it which is really nice yeah were there extra parts of that report that we haven't got included in the notes here um, that, like I said at the beginning, it was a very, very long report, like thousands of words. So was it mostly a... speculation after that then? Uh, yeah, well, basically everything I include in the notes was stuff that had been highlighted as having come directly from his source. Okay. So this is the stuff that came directly from the mouth of the source rather than like being embellished with the guy's speculation, right. basically. So it felt like the most relevant stuff to talk about. Yeah, I do think it's interesting that a lot of it refers to Kylo's journey, um, you know, not just Luke's himself. Um, but as far as I'm aware, correct me if I'm wrong, but like Ray and her hero journey wasn't really referenced here as like how it would impact her story. No, I, I don't think it was. It might have been referenced in the speculation more, mm. but in terms of the stuff that came directly from the source, it, it wasn't really referenced at all. Yeah. It, it just kind of further cements my perception of the story so far of Rey being an outsider to the Skywalker family and coming in and understanding things and her being in this unique almost impartial position to help them you know yeah mm-hmm. like, I've speculated there might be like an angel and devil on her shoulder kind of thing mm-hmm. so Luke on one side and Kylo on the other and they're both whispering in her ear like whether literally or metaphorically <laughs> um and then yeah. she's the one who ends up having to decide, like, balance what they're telling her and decide who she finds more plausible and convincing. I agree. I think that's where a lot of, you know, like, the primary conflict for Ray will come from in Episode 8 is I think something will... She'll come into some sort of knowledge where, you know, Kylo has something to offer her, whether it be, you know, her own personal history or if she sees him as more justified in his actions than she did in the force awakens or him giving her some reason to doubt Luke. Um, and then her having to, to choose what is the right path. Mm. Yeah. And the idea of Ray finding a third way, um, Mm -hmm. to somehow incorporate both of them, because it can't be that Kylo Ren is right and Luke is wrong. It's going to be something far (laughs) more complicated than that. Um, but because she's the new hero, she's going to acknowledge that the previous ways were flawed and that there's something new to come mm-hmm. yeah um right we said all we want to say on that news story i, I was so. just wondering if you thought it might mean that we see ewoks again <laughs> oh you remember my ewok thing <laughs> um <laughs> being realistic probably not yeah because i think we're probably going to see endor in like an eerie atmospheric flashback you know and it would kind of ruin the mood if they'd show like Wicket and Co singing Yub Nub in the background. <laughs> <laughs> yub Nub! <laughs> uh, yeah, I think it'd just be a bit of a mood killer. Um, so I think that's going to have to stay in the realm of like glorious fan art and fan fiction and stuff. Sad yeah. times. But... Could be a good merchandising opportunity. <laughs> like, you should, like show Kylo getting swarmed by teddy bears. <laughs> <laughs> He's like trying to be all sneaky and like go in and like still like Vader's like melted helmet and and then they're like watch him Toshka jump him <laughs> oh I love it um, but yeah that's only in the realm of my fevered imagination <laughs> um, right guys then to move on um, 
The next story is, oh gosh, it's so brief. I'm really not even sure it's a story. But it's more going to be like an FYI, guys. Um, FYI, Woody Harrelson has revealed that he's playing a character named Beckett. And he's a criminal and a mentor to Han. Um, did this inspire any feelings of revelation or significance in either of you guys? How about you, Erin? I love Woody Harrelson, and I think Beckett's a good name. So I'm excited. Um, so I'm sure he'll probably just be a, you know, whiskey-drinking piece of shit hanging out in some fancy <laughs> I don't know. Um, I'm excited to, to see him. He's been taking on a lot of these roles sort of with Hunger Games. Um, there was something else I saw him in recently that was a similar role. I don't remember what it was. Uh, but, you know, I, I like it. I, I like how he portrays this sort of character and um you know i think it'll be interesting to see how that applies to the star wars universe so mm, definitely how about you kirsty um yeah i'm excited to see him and i like him as an actor as well but i don't think that this is like a true revelation like uh, the the name is new yes but it doesn't I guess tell it means anything. he's not playing garrick strike or yeah but i i never thought that anyway like yeah yeah he always i mean it, i feel like Ever since it was announced that he was cast, it's sort of been an assumption that he would play a mentor. At least that's the primary um, speculation that I've seen. Because mm. the sort of characters that he does play are pretty similar to Han Solo. I think it was like came out actually one of the first trade reports. Like I think Variety broke the news that he'd been cast or something and it described him as Han's mentor. Yeah, and, and from so, that you just kind of yeah. assume that he's going to be a criminal, right? Yeah, because exactly. Because who Han is, so... <laughs> Han's mentor was a, a member of the Church of the Force who um, <laughs> always taught him to say um, thanks be to the Force before every meal. No. <laughs> There'd be a wonderful irony in that, though. Um, right, then the final story is that Lyra Erso was originally set to be a Jedi. Right, and then this is from Entertainment Weekly. And it goes, the prologue, at one point a long time ago, it's going to be the Empire coming to kill the Jedi, says director Gareth Edwards. And Jin's mum was going to be a Jedi. Edwards says the original prologue concept for Rogue One was, we were witnessing one of those kills and Krennic would be the person sent to do it. The fatal flaw in the concept was that Jin was never going to become a force wielder. So the filmmakers feared her Jedi mother would become a distraction, a tease without a payoff. Our instinct told us that we wanted a scene where Jin is orphaned because of what Krennic does which sets her on the path of being a child of war. The problem was that the second you make her mum a Jedi, you spend the entire movie questioning whether Jin is a Jedi or not. Eventually, we came up with the idea that her father should have designed the Death Star. That became a stronger way into stealing of the Death Star plans. We let go of the mother being a Jedi, and she became just a rebellious mum. <laughs> mm. This makes me angry. Yeah. Same. <laughs> Oh, how are they so oblivious to how this comes across? I know. I'm I'm pure salt right now. Sorry. Also, you know, well, it's just like I like how the father had to. I mean, it's like you know, I don't have anything against fathers with interesting storylines, but it was just like it's. I just don't necessarily like if if the focus was going to be on Lyra Urso originally, then I mean, why couldn't she have been the one that built the Death Star? You know, exactly. Women yeah. can't be scientists. <laughs> Although I, I do love the um, the space <laughs> dads thing going on with Krennic 
<laughs> and Caitlin Urso, you know, it's a, it's a fun, uh, dynamic, but, um, but, uh, yeah, no, it, it's frustrating. I think that, um, just right off the bat, once again, another mother lost to Star Wars. Mm. And, and this, this report makes how Lyra's treated in the final film seems so much worse because clearly like she was meant to be more significant like it because if she was a jedi herself and like the prologue was about her being hunted rather than galen or so being hunted then that would very much put the focus on her and i'd imagine that jin's central relationship and driving force would probably be with her mother rather than with her father mm-hmm. and like again like you are and i don't have anything against like fathers or films about relationships between daughters and fathers that's great but in star wars there's an awful awful record of how mothers have been treated mm-hmm. like generally dying when their children are very young and like you say dying of seemingly arbitrary reasons yeah they're just discarded <laughs> when they become inconvenient yeah exactly and like like it's just so bad because even if Lyra had died in this version she would have still been more important than she ended up being in the finished product because in the finished product, it's all just about Jin's daddy issues and her unresolved feelings about her father. Like, her, her, like they kind of allude to her relationship with her mother and her feelings for her mother. She obviously mentions her when she's having the showdown with Krennic and, uh, like, she has the crystal around her neck that her mother gave her. But that, that kind of stuff, it all seems so, like, tokenistic and... Like yeah. it's like an afterthought. There's there's nothing fundamental to it, and yeah, it's just frustrating. I I ultimately really like that Rogue One was a Star Wars movie without any Jedi or Sith or you know Force wielders really. Um, but um, you know what I think would have been interesting is if if Lyra had been a Jedi, and Jin hadn't. It would have mm. set a good precedent, I think, for the saga films that Force sensitivity isn't necessarily a genetic thing which yeah. has been something that's been terribly frustrating for me with the sequel trilogy because people think, oh, Ray's so strong with the Force. Like, who are her parents? Because they must be strong with the Force, too. And I, I just, you know, that's just not really how the Force works, I think. <laughs> <laughs> nice. I, caught, I saw you there. <laughs> um, yeah, no, definitely. It would have been really good in that respect. And I think it would have also been interesting um, because... Like obviously in the prequel trilogy, there was this whole no attachments thing. Mm-hmm. Whereas if Lyra also is like a Jedi with a husband and a child, how does that fit into that? Like that suggests a really intriguing backstory. And again, maybe that's part of the reason why they scrapped this because they realised it didn't make sense in terms of how the Jedi Order functioned, or it would create way too much baggage because you'd have to, in some way, cover this stuff or explain it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it just sounds so much more interesting than what we got with Lyra in the end. And yeah, it's just enough on those missed opportunities. Mm-hmm. Um, how about you, Kirstie? I know this kind of got your blood boiling a bit. Yeah, <laughs> it's just disappointing to me that she was always going to be fridged, but the original mm. story was going to at least be more interesting. Yeah. And they basically say, oh, it was almost too interesting. So we just got rid of her and gave the interesting yeah. storyline to Galen. Yeah. Like Heron said, they could have given her that storyline. They could have said, okay, we don't want a Jedi, but we'll yeah. um, give her the scientist role. And, and Galen could have been the the parent that plays a smaller part. Mm. And we haven't seen a mother-daughter relationship in Star Wars yet. I mean, because even like with Leia, she still... We, we did have that father-daughter relationship a little bit, like between Leia and Vader, um, not as much as father-son, but... Um, 
you know, that, that has been done to an extent, but we haven't really seen, you know, a, a mother who had a, I mean, this is redundant, but yeah, we haven't seen a mother who really had, um, a storyline that was, I mean, with, with Padme, it's complicated, but because, you know, like she, she was a prominent character in the prequel trilogy, but she still sort of did serve as just a catalyst for turning Anakin to the dark side. Um, and then, you know, she was discarded when she became inconvenient to the plot. So it would have been interesting if they had kept a mother in the story who had a, a storyline and a purpose, you know? Mm. Yeah, especially in a film like Rogue One, where there's it's very bad, really, in terms of female representation. Don't get me wrong, Jin's great. It's great to have a female protagonist. But I just kind of have a problem when you have a good female protagonist, but then you just literally surround her with men. Mm-hmm. Like, loads of dudes. Like, she, like the only other like prominent female characters are... And they're not really prominent. They're more... They're like bit roles, almost. They're like Lyra and Mon Mothma. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, am I missing anyone? I, I think that's everyone, like apart from some like random pilots and stuff. Yeah, I think that's everyone. Yeah, and I think it just would have gone a long way to rectify that if they had at least made this like mother-daughter bond the fundamental thing rather than the father-daughter bond. But yeah, yeah, obviously it didn't cross their minds. <laughs> and, and I mean, honestly, they haven't they haven't done. I mean, it, it's I'm so happy to see female protagonists in these movies and. You know, growing up watching the original trilogy, um, you know, I, I saw some post on, I don't know if it was Tumblr, I think it was, or maybe it was Reddit. Someone had said, I thought I related to Star Wars and I thought that I really like related to Luke's journey and, um, you know, was experiencing these films the same way as everyone else. But it wasn't until I saw The Force Awakens and I was really able to relate to Rey as a woman that like mm. I really understood like I was experiencing the film in a completely different way. And like, I think I I feel the same, like it's, it's different. Um, you know, seeing, seeing yourself represented on screen as a woman, you know, protagonist, but at the same time, it's just like attack of the clones out here. You know, they all are just pale, white, pretty brunettes. And there's a, it's kind of embarrassing that, um, I think, you know, there was all that controversy about Jen is Ray's mother, Jen is Mara Jade. Um, and and Daisy had to clarify, or no, I guess it was Felicity that clarified, uh, no, I'm not Ray's mother, um, or something. Mm. One, one of them, you know, was like, oh, just because we look the same doesn't mean we're related within the franchise. But, I mean, there has not been much variation in these female characters. Yes. Right, you can say, oh, well, we just happen to look similar, but someone's making those casting decisions. It's not just completely arbitrary. So, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. No, exactly. <laughs> yeah, I I know we are generally such doubters on Rogue One. Sorry, <laughs> Sorry yeah. listeners who are you know major major fans of that film, but I don't know. I I think this marketing strategy that they've had. We we talked before about how um they were kind of ignoring the fact that there were reshoots and rewrites. Now the marketing for the Blu-ray release has almost gone to the other end of the spectrum, and they're using it as like a plus somehow that um they had all of these possible alternate endings and previous concepts and it's, it's fine to acknowledge that a story evolves obviously, but the more of these little things that they share, it's actually putting me off buying the Blu-ray. <laughs> oh, I know. Like the, the, um, like the Gareth Edwards interview was just kind of a downer for me. I mean, I haven't been like too 
I, I liked Rogue One, um, not as much as I liked The Force Awakens, but, um, you know, it just, I think the interview with him kind of told me that, uh, you know, the the point, the quote where he said, um, we just kept editing it until it was like someone had a gun to our heads and we had to release the film just tells me that it was kind of, you know, thrown together last minute or, you know, they never really were able to, to get it to where they wanted to. Yeah, it makes the story mean less to me because it does mean that things are arbitrarily thrown together to an extent. And so much of it was created in the editing room. And then, Mm -hmm. you know, the the Darth Vader scene was added on the last minute. It doesn't affect my enjoyment of that scene as um, something in in and of itself. But as part of a whole story, it just feels like there's a lack of vision. Yeah, Yeah, it's like they didn't trust the film to stand on its own. And they were like, we have to throw in you know, a lightsaber for people to like this and realize that it's Star Wars. Mm. Yeah, I still have high hopes for Han Solo. I don't think this is going to be the way that all the standalones work. Um, It's just unfortunate that it was the first one. And I know that there are lots of people who absolutely love this movie. Mm. I liked it enough. So I'm not like a hater. Mm -hmm. Um, I think for me, I liked Rogue One, but I just liked it in the way I'd like any normal movie. Mm -hmm. Like... Like with Force Awakens, I'm crazy, crazy invested in that film. Oh, yeah. I'm keen on talking about it and analysing it and considering what its ramifications are. Whereas with Rogue One, it it feels like it's an experience that only lasts as long as I was in the cinema. Yeah. You know, it doesn't stay with me that long afterwards. And and I think a big problem with that is just the characters, honestly. Um, I felt like none of the characterization was super strong. I mean, some of them, like, like Chirrut was very much his own person. Um, you know, Galen Erso was kind of an archetype, but he stood out to me. But a lot of the characters felt pretty flat, and I don't think that people were really able to latch onto them in a lot of the same way that um, they were able to latch onto Rey and Finn and Kylo um, and the the sequel trilogy characters. And I think a lot of that is definitely because they were dealing with the fact that all these characters are going to die. But at the same time, like, you know, maybe it would have made their deaths more meaningful if if they had been more well-rounded. That's just my opinion, but... Yeah, yeah. I think it's the characterization that is super important for me in terms of enjoying a story. Mm-hmm. So, you know, they can have all the fancy effects in the world and all this incredible digital technology we're bringing Tarkin and, and young Leia back. But if the characterization isn't impressive for me, I I can enjoy the movie, but I won't become obsessed with it the way I have with The Force Awakens. Yeah. And it's, it's hard to then have, you know, because we, we haven't done an awful lot of heavy analysis of like the the characterization on the show we keep going back to the original trilogy and the sequel trilogy because there's just a lot more there yeah Yeah. i saw some posts one time that said something to the extent of like you can give me a story with the most boring plot ever but if the characters are interesting i'll read it like get super into it i always think about that with rogue one like it had sort of everything else going for it Except the characters just weren't really there. Yeah. No, that's pretty much how I feel. Um, right, guys, we done talking about Rogue One? I think so. Yeah. Um, right, then I guess to close things up, um, if you have any questions for us, we're not doing questions this time, but if you have questions for next time, please send them to scavengershoard at gmail.com. And don't forget to vote for us in the podcast and awards because we really appreciate that. Um, yeah, then I guess it's just a question of where we can all be found on the interwebs. So, Aaron, where can people find you? 
You can find me at holocroning.tumblr.com. I'm Kirsty. I'm Bastila Bay on Tumblr and Scavengers Horde on Twitter. And you can find me at Star Wars Nonsense on Tumblr and Journal of the Star Wars on WordPress. So thanks to both of you for this excellent discussion. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, sorry, it means that's so sinister. <laughs> um, and yeah, until next time. Bye. Yeah, thank you guys. <laughs>